Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Jim Stam. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. I see a familiar face on uh, yeah. on the on the screen right now. Yeah, we're going to welcome back to the show Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. And uh, famed baseball um, coverage is not in his description. He's He's more about basketball recently. But he's, he's written a story on the uh, 30-year anniversary of the uh, 1992 Game 7 loss to the Atlanta Braves, and we thought it was a good time to have him on. And, uh, Mike, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I really enjoy your, your work and, and, and your company, and uh, so it's, it's really nice that you had me back. Even if we're going to have to talk about something really painful, and uh, but maybe maybe it'll be a little cathartic at the same I time. So. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Super happy to have you back, but we are going to push that off a little bit. We're going to talk about something happy first, because it's also the anniversary of Bill Mazeroski hitting that game-winning home run in 1960, and you know, obviously, I don't have first-hand experience of it, but I do have hand-me-down stories from my grandpa about working in the mill and his boss that never, ever gave them a break on anything, let everybody out to go party in the streets <laughs> the second that that home run cleared the wall. So I thought, let's take a moment and take advantage of having somebody who's actually spoken to Bill Mazeroski on the show. What, what does it mean to the city and the and the game itself, that home run? And what did you, you have uh, as far as talking to Bill Mazeroski? Well, you know, I, I think I, I think it sort of illustrates in a lot of ways the the uh, the history of baseball in one moment, because it is by far the greatest moment in the history of the game. It, it was the first and, and I believe still the only, uh, it was the first that home run that won a series. And I believe it's still the only that won a, uh, a series uh, in the seventh game. Uh, and yet they're like, you can't get people to say that's the biggest moment because goodness gracious, the giants won the pennant right in 51. And so right. that's gotta be bigger, even though they went out and lost the series still bigger because it was New York. And that kind of defines baseball because whatever happens in New York is what matters most and what happens to New York, thanks, Maz, doesn't matter. Uh, that, that, that moment was – That was the true to the shot heard around the world, the Mazeroski yes. home run. And it – and it and yeah, because that's what they refer to as the Robbie Thompson one. And that doesn't make – that doesn't – that's not fair. No, I mean, obviously it was a special moment uh, in 51. And, and you know, it's – it's uh, there, there have been stories since. Wall Street Journal did a – piece many years later about the stealing signs that went on in that series it maybe uh colored it a little bit but uh at the end of the day it was a it was a uh, national league one game playoff for a pennant and as i said uh, the giants did not go out then and win the world series so it was cool that they got to the series and i'll tell you when we get to our second subject i mean just making the series in 92 would have really been something but Again, uh, to win the World Series on a home run, especially in a game like that, 10-9, to lead going back and forth, crazy stuff happening all over the field, Uh, all of that. It was the greatest baseball game ever played, and it ended in the greatest moment in the history of the game, and it doesn't get celebrated nationally enough. I I, I know that Pittsburgh does a wonderful job of embracing that moment with the, uh, you know, the the, the little – uh, almost church service they have every year on this day, and and which is so cool. I, I that is a absolute bucket list item for me. I I didn't for most of the time I lived in Pittsburgh, I didn't really know about it. Uh, I'm not sure when I learned of it, but I know it was toward the end of my time in Pittsburgh. Uh, and of course, uh, being away all this time since 1992, 93, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to be back for it. But I'm, I'm going to get there uh, one of these days soon and, and be a part of that. Uh, so Pittsburgh does a great job with it. And, you know, Maz himself, uh, I, I, uh, 
It, I, I, it happened that the, the one year I spent covering the Pirates on a regular basis, I did it for the uh, the Greensburg Tribune Review and what was then called the Daily Tribune, which was based in Monroeville and leaning toward the eastern suburbs with a little bit of downtown flair, which is why I covered uh, 135 games in 1982. Um and and for the, for for that uh, I, I I was Maz's local paper because uh, he lived in Hempfield at that time I, I I'm not sure if he still does but uh, he did then and so he saw my stuff and so I got to meet him at old timers game and talk to him and down at spring training that year same thing and I mean he is just of all the people if you could pick one player in the history of baseball to allow to hit the biggest home run that ever was hit. He's the guy you would want to hit it because he is the sweetest human being <laughs> that you could ask to meet and most, you know, kindest and, and most humble. I mean, his, his, there were a lot of people who were very strongly in favor of his hall of fame induction. And there were just as many maybe that were ardently against it uh, right. because his batting statistics didn't measure up to some people and always makes me laugh because I'm like, Hey man, I saw Ozzy Smith and Ozzy Smith was unbelievable at shortstop. Unbelievable. But he didn't exactly hit the ball a lot. Uh, so if that, you know, why is it that on one side of the, of second base, like you can get, become a hall of famer catching ground balls, but on the other side, you can't, I mean, I always thought that was ridiculous. So it was really cool to see him, get up there and show everybody how much it meant to him and how humble he was. And every day on every year on this day, we get to celebrate what he did. I mean, it's for, funny. What, when I go a down, franchise that hasn't won much in the last 30, 40 years. We, we sure have some, some historical moments and players though. Jim, what were you going to say? No, brother? I was just going to say like, yeah, you know, every time I go down to the stadium and, uh, to PNC Park, and we typically park on that side of things where the Maz statue is. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, every time I walk by it, I still think of it. You know, even though I wasn't alive at the time or anything, I just – I take a minute and think about it because, yeah, I mean, it's so it's so iconic. And I do wish that nationally it was celebrated a little a little bit more. Um, Mike, was there anything that, that he ever said about that moment or um, – that you asked him specifically that he like anything that stood out to you over the years with him or honestly, when I had my longest conversation with him was after an old timers game. And it happened that, um, that he brought the glove that he wore as a player. And it had, I mean, it was the, and I don't know that he ever changed it. I mean, I don't like, he wasn't one of those guys that was changing. And I believe it is, as I recall, it's been 40 years, but it had like a hole in the palm of the glove. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and he's, and he brought it to the old timers game and he's still scooping up grounders. And, uh, you know, he was still, he was still a reasonably young man. I think he was younger then, uh, when, when, when much younger than when we, when we talked than I am now. So, uh, but it was still cool to see him out there with that glove, uh, that had the, you know, that was so worn out, but, uh, was, yeah, I, I don't, I th- if people don't, really understand go look up maz's defensive stats yeah they're incredible easy to find baseball reference it's easy to find and then compare them to any other second baseman that ever played i mean there is just as ozzy was off the charts as a as a defensive shortstop that's maz on the other side of second base i'm telling you the stats are ridiculous the number of double plays the number of chances he was unbelievable it's not appreciated enough how genuinely great. Now, no one can pretend that he was a great hitter. He was a decent hitter. But right. he was so good on the defensive side that he was a worthy Hall of Famer. And, of course, he had more than once, and he had more than once some, you know, some big hits, some special hits. He, you know, he popped the ball out of the park from time to time, just not – on a power hitter level. I met the man one time at spring training, oh, probably six or seven years ago. And I'm not an autograph person, but <laughs> I had a hat and he was talking to me. I was, I was holding my hat in my hand and he had a marker and I kind of just gave it to him and he signed it. <laughs> 
And he looked up at me. I'll never forget. Because this dude has no business, like, doing this at all. Looks up at me and goes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks me you. for asking him for his you know, like, Yeah. I mean, just the, the most humble man and, yeah, beautiful human being. And with that, we should take a break and uh, enjoy that good feeling, folks, because it's not going to last when we get into the next segment. Now, hold up. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Gary, Jim, and Mike DeCourcy with you today. And we're going to go back and visit a painful time in Pirates history. I know, um, don't mean not last Tuesday. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, October Which 14th. Which one, Gary? <laughs> 1992. The Game 7 loss to the Atlanta Braves. So, Mike, it's the 30-year anniversary I'm sure you're not the only one that's going to write about this. In fact, I already saw Tim Benz wrote about it today yes. too. So, um, no, Mike's will just be better. That's all right. Oh, no, that's I will say. That's uh, a Tim's, is, Tim's is very. Yeah, he's done two parts already. It's very good. He, he I, I took a little bit different approach than he did. He and he, you know, he got Jim Leland. He got. Uh, I'm trying to think who else he had. He, he got Van Slyke, uh, a few other players. Uh, Lloyd McClendon. He got. I, my my approach was a little bit more oriented toward the uh, toward the how it affected everybody, um, and, and and in part because I, I thought about putting myself into the story because my my 1992 game seven story I think is as sad as anybody that didn't play in the game because I had been a lifelong Pittsburgher to that point and had just moved into a house that my wife and I. In the North Hills, my wife and I had had uh, decided, you know, we were going to live there for the rest of our lives, basically. Uh, and then early October, early May, uh, the Teamsters go on strike against the Pittsburgh Press. And early October, Scripps Howard says, that's it. We're done. We're selling the paper. We're out. And I knew on the night that game was being played that there was a, like a 90% chance, maybe a little bit less than that, that I was leaving Pittsburgh Uh at the end of the year, uh, once, once the oh, paper man. got sold and closed and all that. And so I wanted one last world series in my town before I left. And my father had passed away in 1990. And so we, my wife and I, I said, we're, we're taking your dad to the world series. Um, and so each year, 90, 91, 92, we bought world series tickets and we always gave them back because never got to use them. So I'm sitting there watching that game and they're up to nothing. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, like I did not care at that point. Is that at that as Doug Drabeck took them out? I would not have cared one bit if they got swept in four games by the Blue Jays. Not at all. It it wasn't about that. It was about going to the series in Pittsburgh. It was about taking my father-in-law. It was about having that to share with my wife and doing all that before I had to leave in exile. And so that, you know, watching that dissolve in however long that took, I don't, you know, I have never, one thing I didn't do was go back and look at how, you know, was that three minutes or three hours? Because it was horrifying. And so I don't know how long. Where you start. Do you you start with, with Chico booting a ball or do you start with Pendleton knocking one in front of, you know, the, the brand new inserted right fielder who, you know, maybe got a bad jump on the ball. It's really difficult to say when it started. Yeah. You know, I, I, I look at it. I look at that as kind of a bad luck because I, Drabeck's pitch wasn't bad. You know, I've went back and watched the ninth and in, in writing my piece, which uh, appears today, I went back and looked at it and it was a good pitch and Pendleton just fought it. And it's that, you know, as Mike Lavalier said in our article, you know, 95 times out of 100, that ball's going to curl foul, foul, and then, you you know, you go back out and try to strike him out or whatever. And that time it just hung up and stayed straight. And I don't know whether, you know, a, a great right fielder, um, 
might have caught it, but I don't know that the Pirates of that era had a great right fielder. No. I mean, even if Bobby yeah. had stayed, uh, Bobby Bonilla had stayed, I don't think that he would have been. Uh, he might have, but I don't think it, you would. He would have been expected to. Yeah, yeah I don't think it was a play that uh, that someone makes that's not a pretty darn good fielder. So uh, it's hard to get hung up on that. I thought it was interesting. Lloyd McClendon definitely thought he could have gotten it. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I looking back, I don't think so. In fact, until I read that today um, in the Tim Ben story, I didn't ever even consider that anybody could have caught that ball. So, you know, it was to me – it, right over my head. I, I had no belief whatsoever that anybody should have caught that. It really all started with Chico for me and yeah. kind of went downhill from there. But man, what a, what a painful loss. It's, it's ranked by many people as the fourth best game ever played. We just talked about what, <laughs> what we consider the best ever, but I mean, it was, uh, it had some historical things in it, man. Like, you know, it was the, the first um, game to ever end that way, um, Cabrera's hit gave the Braves the pennant. It was it was um, the first time that a team was one out away from losing in a winner-take-all situation, but won the game's final pitch. Yeah, I that I, I Tim Kirchian did the SI story at the time, and as I was researching uh, this piece, uh, I I. I Found that out. I ha- I was not aware of that at the time. Well, I stole uh, this from Jason Foster on your site. So okay. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I, you know, I I I wasn't aware of that. And I I will be honest with you. I I and this is no bias whatsoever. Um, it was an exciting ending for those who didn't care who won or for the Braves. But I don't know that it was one of the greatest games ever played. I, I have a hard time with that because, uh, you know, there were base running mistakes. There, it was decided on an error uh, and a couple of walks. Um, I'm not sure that that adds up to the greatest baseball game ever. I mean, the game I uh, – the, the, that's Pirates-Yankees 60 game was amazing. There were games in the 79 series and the 71 series that off the top of my head were better games. Uh, I, you know, I, I think if you think back on game six of the of the Reds Pirates series, when Carmelo Martinez hit the ball to the wall and yes. scraped it off, that probably was a better game in a lot of ways. Even, again, it didn't end the way we might have preferred it to, but I think it was probably a better game. Uh, this was a dramatic ending, and sometimes people construe that to mean it was a great game. I argue with people all the time about the NCAA tournament 2005, Illinois came back from 13, 14 down in the final three minutes to force overtime and went on to win, went on to the final four. Great game ever played? No. They were awful for 35 minutes. <laughs> you know, and, then, and then they did a great job for eight or nine. So, no, I mean, I, I think that the great games are the ones that go back and forth all along and great baseball's played and then somebody just ends up winning because they made the last great play. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I think a lot of people forget that you know, the Braves were leading this series 3-1. Yes. It took some excellent pitching performances from this team just to be in that game seven to begin with. Bob Block goes complete game, throws like 128 pitches. Tim Wakefield comes in and goes complete game. Drebeck nearly makes it a three-peat on complete games in a playoff series. Well, you could not see that in today's game. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, if you watched that game now as a replay, which I don't know what uh, person from Pittsburgh would, but if you did, you, I mean, the game would be seen. It would be so different, wouldn't it be? I mean, it would be like watching Twilight Zone baseball compared to what we see today, you know, on so many levels with the pitching the way it is and the defense and not that there's not the shifting that was going on. So it just would have been – it would just be interesting from that. I'm not going to do it. I never will. I'm just saying, <laughs> but it would be interesting to see that. Jim, there was just enough yeah. – there was just enough shifting, Jim, that Jay Bell was up toward the second base a little bit so that that ball went straight through. Uh, <laughs> that, that Francisco Cabrera hit, it went straight through into left field. Uh, you know, I, I think, I, I, I do think that um, 
if you if you if you looked at that game, if you looked at that ninth inning, you'll see uh, that it is different. That uh, and I I think one of the things that was different was that in today's baseball, you would have had, especially on a team as great as that Pirates team was, you would have had an established closer. I knew that's where you were going. Yep. Yeah, he was Stan Belinda was trying to grow into the role, and I did a extensive extensive piece about him trying to do that uh, for for the press in the summer of '91, um, and he and he still hadn't totally made it. I mean, you go back and look, and he was our closer, and I believe when I looked, and the number was 18 saves in right. on a 90 plus win. And I think they won 96 that year, and they had 18 saves. Uh, if I rem- if if I'm right about that, so. It just wasn't the same, and and you would have had more bullpen arms that you trusted as well. Because the one thing that always bothered me about that game, and it stuck with me, and and Tim Tim's story kind of addressed it a little bit, part two, where he said that Bob Walk's arm was on fire after having won Game Five and uh, and thrown a hundred plus pitches, and I always felt this that after after Belinda comes in. And he gets the the Gant fly out to left that looks like a grand slam but falls short, and then he and then he walks Barry Hill. Um, wa- I should say walks. See the air quotes if you're if you're listening audio. <laughs> I'm doing air quotes because he walked him, uh, and then he gets the pop up that that lean fields and it's two outs. I felt at that point he'd gotten three outs, and he had no more outs in him. And if there was another arm out there that you trusted that it would have been better to bring that player in. I didn't think Stan had four outs in him. And I thought, and walk was warming up and I thought, why not? Um, and I, and my, and my thoughts, I, I, that it might have been that he was a little bit wild pitched prone and wouldn't it be awful to tie the game or, or, or whatever on a wild pitch. And, but I think that the answer must have been, that he just wasn't sharp because he pitched so much so in, in game five. Uh, it's I, crazy. I haven't read part three uh, of Tim's piece, and he only raised that, that parenthetically. I, it felt like there was going to be maybe uh, some more, and maybe there will be in part three. Uh, but I, 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 that allusion to the arm being on fire may, you know, sort of made me feel a little bit better 30 years later that Leyland didn't really have great options. Yeah, and it's funny because you don't think about that as you, you you know you're watching the season progress, you know, because their starting pitching was so good. I mean, it it went deep all the time, and we just talked about the ramp up from down three one to actually be in game seven took consecutive back to back complete games. That bullpen should have been beyond rested. Yeah, that tells you how untrustworthy most of the options really were. And really, and how things were built back then a little well, bit. Well, really, too, we were right there on the edge, right at the beginning of money starting to really make a difference in baseball, too. That was a place well, where the Pirates started to fall short, right there. And well, the year before, they had lost a couple stars. And, you know, it you had seen the wheels start to come off. I actually didn't even expect them to go back to this point in 92. So I was a little bit, you know, wishful thinking already going into it. And, um, yeah, I know Mike, when he talked to me about the story he was going to write, I told him, like, I told my kids, this is when I, you know, I, I matured as a baseball fan. It's when I really realized, okay, this is a business too. And, Things are going to start falling apart now, and um, so this this game is more than a game. It was a delineation mark for this franchise, really, for all of Major League Baseball. It, because the Yankees, with with their massive payrolls, be fueled by it, it uh, in 1998, they signed a, I believe, it was a 12 year deal for like almost 50 million dollars a year. It doesn't seem like a lot now, but it was a ton then. For the almost just matched that mark here recently. Um, and so they signed it in 88 and it was going to go into uh, force and maybe it did in 92 maybe 93 somewhere in there and so you so that changed the game already uh right at at that moment the my colleague at the press at the time 
the late Scott Newman was the one who said to me, Hey, this is, you know, this is the first shot, you know, this is them coming over the walls. It's never going to be the same after this happens. And then of course the pirates were able to, because it, because that money wasn't kicking in quite yet. And uh, the pirates were able to, you know, complete the rebuilding process that Sid Thrift had begun with Jim Leland and, and that Bonilla Bonds Vance Light group uh, and get those three divisions. And it wasn't money. Uh, maybe it was to the, in 92 because they let Sid Bream go in 90 and they let, and they, you know, they let Bonilla walk in 91 and they traded John Smiley, a 20 game winner, not my favorite pirate all time, but still a 20 game winner. Sure. Um, and they did all that and they made minor moves to, to deepen, you know, to deepen what they had left. Uh, I remember them bringing in Danny Jackson late in the 92 season, for example, but they didn't do a ton. It sure would have been nice to have another bullpen arm, obviously. Uh, and that's what Jackson turned into anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 that from that point on, from 92 on when bonds goes to San Francisco for 5 million a year or whatever it was. And then the Yankees start buying up everybody that's, and of course the Braves, you know, people don't realize at the time the Braves, because of the superstation had a lot more revenue rolling through their club than the average team as well. That's a really good point. All that is really when the game change to what it is now i think people forget even what a coup it was for them to sign terry pendleton at the time you know he was a big st louis Cardinals star to have him leave ozzy smith and and the the whole machine that was going on in in st louis that sort of stuff didn't happen like that that's really Kind of the beginning, the early 90s, late 80s is when you really started to see some of this stuff and these bigger teams that could afford it started buying some of their stars. And that's just not how baseball was. So definitely a line in the sand right there to me. It's it's kind of when I grew up and when I died at the same time. Well, and, 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 and we knew the writing was on the wall, right? I mean, you, you just kind of we all figured knew Barry was gone. Barry, that's where I was going. We knew Bonds. We knew Bonds was leaving. And um, that was going to fundamentally change things right there because people only, I think, especially a little bit of the younger crowd, I think they think of Barry Bonds as just this first half career of Barry Bonds and second half career of Barry Bonds. Di- different player entirely. Both great and and great as great can be, but very different ball players. And um, so you know um, he was so special. And I just the, the fact that they weren't going to have him was really going to put got was treated really, the same in this very game we're talking about. Got intentionally walked twice. I mean, like yeah, it's not like that changed for him. It's Barry Bonds was a special player, and and just knowing that you were going to lose him and not because you didn't want him was just a, a different experience as a baseball fan. It was one of the things that was heard. interesting here about, uh, about uh, what I learned in doing this article was first of all, that Bream desperately wanted to stay. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, desperately he cried. He and his wife cried when, when the pirates said they were out and the pirates had initially told everybody in, in, in publicly that signing him was their number one priority. And then they basically never made a competitive offer. And then after he talked to the Braves and they said, here's what the number is. And we didn't talk about what the number was, but here's what the number is. And he said, okay. Um, And then that night he and his wife cried because they were going to have to leave Pittsburgh. They love it so much. They're still there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even though he takes a little guff from time to time. How Um, much Gary, how much time we got before we got to get a break? Because I oh, want to get into I want to get into some of the Sid Bream stuff because I I I was fortunate enough um, when Sid was at the end of his career, and I was in my freshman year in college. He was good friends with our head coach, and he had just signed at the end of his career. He had just signed a deal with the Houston Astros for a year. But he wanted to get some work in before he headed down to spring training, and we were we were we were still playing at this time. 
uh, of the year. So he asked to come work out with us. Well, as it just so happens, I happen to be a first baseman. So me and Sid Bream got to share first base duties for about two weeks. And, uh, <laughs> let me, you know, so uh, really, really one of the highlights of, 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 of my playing career. And, um, I, you know, poor Sid Bream, because if there was a question to be asked, I asked it, right? And I'm talking everything from... <laughs> on the field with what I was trying to be at that point in time, which was nowhere near that kind of caliber of player, but you're picking their brains constantly. Right. So, but then of course, of course I was going to ask him about some of this stuff with the, with the game seven and everything. Right. He helped, by the way, you want to talk about a, a good guy. He, he stayed afterwards with me and helped me work on hitting lefties and um, I mean, just everything I asked him to do, he would do it. And um, he was he he would ask me at first base, "Do you want to jump in on this? Can I jump in on this rep?" I'm like, "Sid, you you can do whatever you want, man. I'm just I'm hanging out with you, buddy." And so that's that that is the kind of guy he was. Um, super nice guy, super humble. But um, so fair to say, you've forgiven him, unlike most of the city. I have, man. Like I know people here, you know, can't stand the name. But uh, Mike touched on it. I asked him about um, him leaving, and he he was very very uh, adamant about the fact that they they never wanted to leave. He he, and he felt um, hurt by it. Um, he, he there were some hurt feelings over that, and um, uh, as a competitor, he said it felt. It, it, it did feel good though what happened in that game seven when he met when he scored that run just in the sense of like hey as a player when someone tells you you're not important enough to stay around and you can somehow come back and make that team pay for that and that stood out to me because I thought you know hey th- these these guys are competitors man and and um, he he was he he was very much you know not not conceited about it but saying hey you know what that would that that felt good to be able to do that to a former team that didn't necessarily want me anymore. You know, I, I, if anybody gets anything out of this podcast other than our stories, like let Sid Breen let that go. I mean, <laughs> those guys were doing their jobs. I, yeah. I not like Jacob Truba. You want to be mad at Jacob Truba? Go ahead, because <laughs> like he's not doing the right thing. But a guy who goes out and plays hard and plays clean and does the right things, if he beats your team, you know, even if it's as many times as Tom Brady has, like that, you know, that's that's a totally different thing. I, 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 I even before I t- got a chance to talk to Francisco Cabrera and Sid Bream for this article, I had no, I never held anything against them. Uh, it, it, they're doing their jobs. Absolutely. You, know, you get mad at the hump. Who, who who squeezed the plate on on uh, on Stan? That's fair because he didn't do his job well. Uh, but and if you want to get mad at Jose because he botched a routine ground ball, that's within bounds as long as you keep it clean. Uh, but the guys who beat you, hey, they're doing their jobs. People in Pittsburgh should be honored that Sid Bream loves the area enough to still be there 30 some years later, 35 years, 37 years later, after he got traded to the pit, to the pirates, he still wants to be there. That says a ton about your area. You should embrace him as one of your own. I mean, even if he didn't want to be, you marry a girl from Pittsburgh, you're going to live in Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, now, so I mean, it's interesting way. you brought up the umpire because there was two home plate umpires in that game. That was another tidbit that I thought was interesting. One of them kind of had to go to the hospital for extreme dizziness, like in the middle of it. Isn't there always something like when you go back and look at these games where something fateful happened, right? Yeah. That there's these little weird things that seem to pop up that like, you know, I mean, how many times has that happened in a game, let alone that, you know, that kind of ball game and, it changes things, right? Probably uh, on some level, somewhere. At least I'm going to think way, it did. By the way, can we can we at least put to bed too? Like people here like to say, Sid Bream was out. Uh, Sid Bream beat that throw by just a hair, by I just a know, hair. Not, not and, I asked, and I asked Sid Bream about this. Okay, oh, yeah. I've asked and, Frankie um, about it. <laughs> yeah, you wanna, we'll I, go ahead to that if you want. Uh, yeah, he he said hundred percent. 
100% he felt he was safe. And of course, that's the answer he's going to give. But um, that's that's what Sid told me. So well, Spanky says, I think he just beat, beat it. So now, if in the article, um, what Mike told me, Mike Lavalier Spanky told me was that when someone does a hook slide, that their 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 lead leg naturally raises, um, because you know, because you're going into a base, so you're you're sort of sliding over the base, so that you don't you know you don't basically so you don't more or less break your ankle. That's why the technique was invented, or sprain it. Um, and so you're sliding into the base and you're going a little bit elevated because you're still touching the bag because it's elevated. But home plate, if you do that, again, you're elevated. And man, I'm telling you, the photo illustration uh, that we have accompanying the article, man, his foot's off the plate and Spanky's glove is on the trail leg. And so, I, you know, I, if this had been, again, 2022, not 1992 with all the cameras and the high def and replay as a, as a rule, I think they'd have called him out. If you know, you didn't need it the right angle. Depending on what was called on the field. That's exactly what I was saying. We all know like if they called him out in the first place. Yeah. 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 It's a good point. Well, uh, to, to, to Mike's point though, like, and I do think, I think like whatever that was called on the field would probably stand because it was that, it was that close, but there was a, um, uh, in the playoff game last night, I think it was the Dodgers Potters game where they showed a camera view of second base on that steal on that caught stealing. That was so beautiful that I don't know if either of you saw it, but I mean, it was like this close up of second base and the hand coming in and the tag. And I'm like, man, have things gotten, you know, uh, like we just, I mean, you try to look at that play now, well, not live, but, the 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 version of it it's a little grainy i mean like it just things have come a long way in that regard at least no yeah. question i don't know replay irritates me so i'm just gonna glaze past it one more <laughs> tidbit for me on this game because i didn't remember this at all Dion sanders played in this game yes he pitched i Rand. completely forgot he was even on the atlanta braves at that time Un- crazy unbelievable. Stuff. yeah absolutely crazy yeah I'm trying, he, remember, he, he I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember when did he do the when did he do the whole um, played the uh, NFL game and then helicoptered in for a playoff game. That might have been a World Series game that he did that for on the same day. But that yeah, was when he was with the Reds, I believe. But like, yeah, it's it's cool the way that that his career intertwined with it a little bit because at the time he was just already a folk hero in Atlanta. So. Um, Pretty cool to see. But, Mike, anything I, else that you learned from, from writing the story that you wanted to bring up before we move on to our next subject, which is related? Well, you know, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that, you know, the other thing that in addition to Bream that really surprised me, because I, I, you know, because at the time, you know, I was on, my, as I said, I was on my way out of town. We didn't have any newspapers publishing. Uh, the two daily new, newspapers were not publishing. So uh, the information was somewhat limited. I, the, the, the Pittsburgh Tribune was sort of had yet to really fully commit to to uh, to covering the town. They did have an edition, but I, they, it wasn't really what it ultimately became because they didn't have staff, uh, the, the full staff yet. Um, so the, I, I I had no awareness uh, uh, really for thirty years that Doug Drabeck had tried very hard to stay in Pittsburgh. Um, at, at the end of that time and that the pirates did talk to him, but basically at the end said, eh, we'll move along. Uh, we don't want to buy, you know, we don't want to spend the money. And that, you know, I, 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 it didn't have to be as bad as it became is what, is what I didn't know. I knew that the, the, with bond, you know, we all knew bonds was leaving and we suspected Drabeck would too, because it was going to change. And we were right in judging the pirates' in, intention, the, the management's intentions, but we didn't know that it didn't have to be that bad. I mean, Leland was staying; uh, some of the core was still there. Uh, it, it, with with a player like Drebeck, I mean, I don't know that they would have won ninety six games again, but they didn't have to fall off in the manner that they did. No, they had a young Jeff King coming up, prepared to like kind of take over and jump into a star role. They were, 
they had some some players, you know, and Le- that's why I Leland think- left. I mean, he he's already been on the record about that. You know, he felt like they weren't supporting the team, and he wasn't going to go through that again. And you know, I think it'd off. be interesting too to 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 look back at like the division at the time, and well, you know, hey, there was very few playoff spots to be had, quite frankly, too. So, I, I, you know, those were probably factors as well. Um, yeah, they they pulled the cord a little early, but uh, far different setup back then. I mean, you had teams winning 100 games sometimes that didn't make the playoffs. So um, it's brutal back then. It really was. But don't forget, it was only five years that the Pirates almost won a division under 500, or or they maybe they would have had to get oh, the to 500 to win it. The Freak Show in 97, yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we've got another potential freak show taking place right now in modern baseball with the uh, Cleveland Guardians um, making a little bit of a run. So let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to fast forward and touch on kind of what has become of the game at this point. Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. We're going to get into modern baseball now a little bit. And, you know, because 1992, we already talked about, kind of laid the foundation for where baseball's gotten to. And I, I see a lot of Pirate fans openly rooting for the Cleveland Guardians because, they're, you know, they're not they're not spending any money. They're, they're taking on the mighty Yankees. And I get that. My heart's with that, too. But I wonder what kind of a message that really would send this game that already doesn't care about these small market teams. If a small market team pulls it off, all it is is another team for them to point to, to say that it's fair. Yes. Oh, I, I, I root for all the, the Dodgers and the Yankees to win every game now, because I want them to get what they paid for, so to speak. Now, I, you know, this is, this is what they want baseball to be. They don't care about uh, anybody that's outside the top, eight to 10 markets. Uh, so if somebody like Cleveland wins, they can say, see, it's fine. Everything's good. You, you can do it. Uh, so I, 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 it, it bothers me that they've allowed it to become this. And it, it bothers me on more than just the competitive level. I mean, that's obviously the biggest, you know, I lived in Cincinnati for 18 years, you know, became attached to the Reds. I lived in Pittsburgh for 32, you know, my heart went from when I was a kid was with the pirates. Um, and so there's two teams out of 30, and neither one has a shot. Uh, it, I think that's pretty ridiculous. That's a that's you know it's one fifteenth of the league, and they have no shot. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, in, in compared to what it used to be, you know, when I was growing up, the red, big red machine, the Pirates seventy one seventy nine, the big red machine in between, um, Baltimore being the team that the Pirates beat in both the World Series, and they won one in that se- sequence too. And those are now are the bottom markets that have no shot. Uh, just is wrong. And so I, 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 the other level that it bothers me on is that economically, this is the worst deal for the for the baseball players at large that they could possibly get. But they get hoodwinked into thinking that if they adopt a salary cap system, that means they're going to make less money. Well, it might mean less money for. Bryce Harper, but I think he could still get by on $250 million uh, rather than $450 million. Meanwhile, you have uh, you know, teams like the Pirates with payrolls. I mean, the Pirates, one, just a, uh, my, my editor, Bill Trochi, came up with this number uh, while we were doing the story. Uh, the Pirates' payroll in 1992 was almost as big as it was this year. That's 30 years. They were in the 30s in terms of payroll in 1992. And that doesn't even count for inflation. That doesn't even count for inflation, does it? No, that's real dollars. It was in the 30s. And now it's like, I think this year was like 38. Uh, So it it shows you what's wrong with baseball's economics is not just wrong for the competition, but it's wrong for the athletes. And they're buying it uh, because the most powerful. Agents are selling it 
and 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 have uh, a you know a, a significant control on what happens. And meanwhile, you know, Dehan Kovacevic, uh, who whose site this is, has done the work and says NFL's basically fifty percent of revenue. NHL's basically 50% of revenue. NBA's basically 50% of revenue. Ballpark, you know, give or take a smidge here or there. Right. Baseball, closer to 40. Yep. That you, if you're a baseball player accepting that deal, how foolish are you? Yeah, if you're one of the ones negotiating it, you're rich beyond belief. So you know, we, we <laughs> well, looked at the, at the board of players that are selected. You know, It was like five of the eight were Boris clients and making – you know, in the top 2% of the league. So that's not, I, I don't, I, I think that that happens by, you know, not by accident, let's say. Oh, I'm positive that it happens no, it's, not by accident. Not at all. No. And if, Hey, if you remember even in 97, we mentioned the freak show, your pirates payroll that year was uh, $9 million. <laughs> I mean, that is, I mean, that is hard to fathom, but yeah, yeah. I mean, our Albert Bell came, to Pittsburgh for a series. Uh, I think he was with the White Sox, and he was making more than the entire Pirates team was at that time. So the more things change, the more things stay the same, unfortunately. I mean, I say all that about the Guardians, not because I don't like Terry Francona or respect him. I think he's awesome, and I think he's done a great job with his team. I even think they've built a very good team. And if it doesn't cost a lot of money to do so, and and you're successful, who am I to begrudge you? But I'm just saying, careful what you wish for, because if they do win, it will be used. And it will be used as an example of why nothing's wrong. So just know that's true. And, you know, if it happens, it happens. Dehan also tweeted out uh, a graphic that was put out by MLB to show the diversity of their champions. Like they've had X X number, like, I don't know, maybe 15 different champions in 15 years or 14, whatever the number is. That's and their and I, I, my, my response to that is always, look, there may be a different club champion at the country club every year, but they're still all in the country club. Yeah. And it's why not- and, and why should teams have to find different ways to survive and try to do it just because you might get lucky and do that or get close? Why should teams have to try to do it? Why can't we have an even playing field? That's what I don't get the the, the, yeah. the defenders of it. Like I said the other night, I don't feel bad for the Pirates because I think on top of a bad system, they've got a bad owner. I feel bad for the teams like San Diego, who is doing everything more, really, if you really know their revenue stream. They're doing more than they technically can afford, and they've stretched their belts for about five years now. It's going to come to an end. They're not going to be able to do it forever. You're going to start to see them have to sell off. And they're never going to top the the Dodgers. They're just never going to. Even right now, they may win this series. Look at the talent gap on the field. Look at the difference. That's what really stands out to me too, guys, is when I watch these games and we look at a team like the Pirates who are trying to get a rebuild, you know, finished, if you will just the talent disparity that is still there and the t- caliber of baseball that is being played by these postseason teams and how far a team like the pirates still have to go even now. Yeah. And, that's and the Reds depressing. are a great example though. You talked about, you, you've had two teams, Mike, the Reds tried and they tried one more time to get, to get something built around Joey Votto and that big contract they gave him and they ran out of time. And sold off again, I think, early. I think they probably could have gone another year. But, right. But they, they went early. And, you know, now, okay, they got some promising pitching coming back up and whatnot. It's not like I don't see the, the method to the madness. But it just sucks as a baseball fan. The next Hall of Fame player that, that plays his entire career in Cincinnati and or Pittsburgh besides Joey Votto we will never know. I don't know that yeah. there ever will be another one. I think it, it was really telling that I did a, a tweet uh, as the playoffs began. And the, I don't have now the exact numbers in front of me. But basically, the top four seeds in MLB in this in this season were markets like one, two, four, and eight, something like that. And in 
and the NFL, it was something like 40 standing in for the Packers. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, because I'm using Milwaukee to stand in for the Packers because Milwaukee's all in on the Packers. So right. 40 and like 28 and 32 and like 14 or something. I mean, it was like that, those, it was numbers similar to that. That's the difference between a system that's built on competitive balance and giving everybody an equal shot and saying, you have to be smarter at football, not yep. richer. You just have to be smarter at football and a little lucky. I mean, you can't have Le'Veon Bell get hurt every time you go in the playoffs, but you have to be smarter. And in baseball, you just have to be richer. Absolutely true. What a note to end on. We got to give Mike DeCourcy props for uh, taking time out of his schedule. Yeah, um, man. Right. This is a terrible time of the year for him to be giving a baseball show his time. So I really appreciate it. And uh, any any parting shots from you, sir? Yeah. If, if anybody who who uh, who listens and and is interested, you can find the piece. Uh, on the Pirates' last stand uh, on my Twitter at TSN Mike or at SportingNews.com. Uh, it, it, it's not, you know, it's interesting. It was, it, I really do think it was cathartic to go through and do that piece. And I, and I think it, you'll find it cathartic to read it. Uh, it, it. It brings back some difficult memories, but I think there's a, a lot of interesting stuff in the article uh, that, uh, that people will appreciate. And you know, I, I hope it doesn't make, you know, I hope they don't avoid it because it's going to make them relive some tough memories because I, I still think it's an interesting piece. Absolutely. And I'll find but, it and retweet it on our site as well. So just to make sure everybody knows about it, um, read Tim Benz as well. There's a ton of great quotes. I think we, we need to learn from history. And the more you understand about the history of, of something like that, the more you'll understand what's going on today and the differences and the problems that have taken place in this game in particular. So, without further ado, Jim, everyone knows how to get a hold of you, brother. I'm not even going to make you do it this time. I don't even care, man. I just want to listen to Mike. (laughs) Let's send it (laughs) off to Ben. Do your job, brother. Yes, yes, yes. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.